Skinning waves, fox beer, lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Crystal's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot. Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, April 20th, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. <coughs> Welcome to episode 526 of Trek Talk. And that's right, episode 526. Thank you so much for making that possible. We have a great show planned for you guys tonight. Uh, we are going to be talking about Star Trek Picard, episode 9, Vox, which was last week's episode. Today's awesome episode and finale we will not be talking about until next week because a lot of our fans don't get to see it until Friday. And we want to make sure that everybody can enjoy the podcast. So we will not be talking about the finale until next week. Okay. With that out of the way, uh, we have some unscheduled fun where our very own toy guy is going to be talking and well, <laughs> not talking, but telling us all about the brand new Playmates Prodigy figures. And uh, we weren't planning that, but he got them in the mail. So we're going to throw that in today on top of everything else. So if you're interested in Playmates, then you definitely want to hang around and hear what Paul has to say about the new toy line. We also have our Star Trek birthdays. We're going to do our fan shout-outs. Of course, we're going to give our fan scores. And, of course, we're going to talk about the episode. So that's what's going on. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We'll be live with you guys for the next couple of hours. Uh, let me introduce to you our, uh, well, my truck spurts for tonight. Uh, we're too short. Well, one and a half short, I guess. We have with us, as I said earlier, our very own toy guy himself, Paul, who's calling in from Portland. How you doing, Paul? You know, Jim, I am doing pretty good. And so long as we don't have some kind of a rapid, unscheduled disassembly on the show tonight, I think, I think we're going to be doing okay. Certainly better than a, a few uh, rocket ship uh, engineers are feeling today, <laughs> if you know what I'm yeah. saying. But doing okay, I, I, doing all right, man. Just no, no unscheduled disassemblies. I beg you. <laughs> so, no, we're we're gonna make it. I promise you, we will make it. Sweet, and I feel also, more confident already, man. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. We'll make it. Take a deep breath, and we're gonna make it. <laughs> and we also have with us from Las Vegas, our very own Charles. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm good. It's what? on the cool end now. Who knows where. Well, let's see. What's the temperature in Vermont now? Right now it's 56. Okay. We're warmer at 74. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, but you got to remember, 56 is short. 56 is shorts and t-shirt weather up here in Vermont. So. Well, 60s, we're finally getting rid of the long sleeve shirts. Wow. What and the light jackets. <laughs> well, that's and you're getting your own baseball team too. Yes. Looking forward Which to it. Awesome. So, we we don't have we we don't have David with us tonight, and we don't have Eric with us. The the remainder of our Portland contingency, but we do have VR Eric with us tonight, which is which is something new. Uh, we'll see how that works out when we when we get around to it. So bear with us; things might be a little different because we're doing things different than we usually do. But I promise you, it'll all work out in the end. Once again, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, As of right now, we have 136,083 followers on our Facebook page, which is awesome, and 124,146 downloads of this podcast, which is also awesome. And every week, we ask you guys to go to our Facebook page and drop us a line and tell us where you're from. And and Charles, Charles, what's the easiest way for them to get to our Facebook page to tell us where they're listening from? Well, a lot of our fans will just go to their Facebook account, load up Trek Talking, and find the, find the post pin at the top. Or they can go to trucktalking.com, find the Facebook logo, and that'll send them to the Facebook page. Very quick, very easy. And there's lots of fun information over there on our Trek Talking page that you definitely don't want to miss. So what we're going to do here is usually this is the part of the show where we would introduce our, our, um, our fan shout-outs and we'd start off with Eric. But instead of Eric, we're going to jump over to Paul for this one. So you want to get us started, Paul? That's fans shout it out, baby. That sounds great to me. We have all kinds of folks, and we love this segment because it's a chance to basically speed travel around the entire planet and see that we have Star Trek fans everywhere. So we got a lot of top fans who weighed in this week. And uh, first of all, I'd like to say a big hello and live long and prosper to top fan Dietmar Stobes in Freiburg, Black Forest, Germany. Fantastic place to hang your hat. All kinds of amazing things going on in Freiburg. So, Dietmar, thank you so much for being a fan and for uh, saying hello. It's great to hear from you. Uh, a little bit further far afield there from uh, Germany, we move over to the United Kingdom to uh, Caterham in Surrey to top fan David Brown. He's sort of just a little bit south of London, if uh, memory serves. I believe that's where that uh, neck of the woods might be located. We'll see how my scratchy memory is. Uh, but thanks, David. Live long and prosper, sir. And then... Uh, Neighborly, uh, also uh, not too far from there in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, flashing us the live long and prosper hand sign. It's Grayon Kearney in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And finally, also showing the live long and prosper uh, sign, it's Cheryl Reed, who uh, confesses that she's an American living with her German husband in Portugal. Whoa, that is a trifecta of 
uh, international Star Trek enthusiasm all wrapped into one household, Cheryl. You got America, Germany, and Portugal, and there's Star Trek playing no matter where you are. So thank you all for uh, saying hello and for uh, sharing your enthusiasm for Star Trek with us and for uh, hanging out and giving your ear to the podcast. Charles, what you got going on? Who do you like to say hello to this week? Well, gee, this sounds like a Paul name here. I'm going to say Ivana Gisbold from Silverdale, Washington. I'm sorry. I might have missed. I had an issue with your name. But welcome anyway. Top fan, Rod Mueller from Frigid, Wisconsin. I understand how you feel, Rod. I got a friend who's up in Wisconsin and is not happy with more snow recently. Darlene Christel from southeastern Wisconsin, also, who's probably bundled up with the cold weather. And top fan Joshua Cassin, birthplace Los Angeles, California, raised in southwest Missouri and consider Lockwood, Missouri, my hometown. Currently live in Ada, Oklahoma. Never been outside of the U.S. in my life, but would love to visit some of the places like Ireland, Israel, or Italy someday. Yes, Joshua, it definitely is worth getting out and seeing some of these. I've been over to Europe, or over to England, and a little bit of the Pacific. Dave. Dave? Dave's not here, man. I guess I got to keep <laughs> Dave's going. Dave's not here. Yep. <laughs> Good morning, Must Dave. be 420. <laughs> yeah, must be. Yvonne Woodward from... Kathama Falls, Oregon. I started my journey in Germany with a big smiling uh, smiling face with uh, hearts in her eyes. Welcome. Barry Cole from North Carolina. Live long and prosper. Welcome, Barry. Aaron Benjamin Sinna. Southside Chicago, grew up in the 60s and 70s. I was a paper boy, delivering for the Chicago Times, the Chicago Tribune, and the Chicago Defender. And, and I watched Star Trek with my three older brothers. I am, wow, I am 12 of 16, a.k.a. number 12, after I came home from our evening delivery routes. Man, that many people. You were you were all fighting over the TV then. Top fan, Gregory Mullen from Jacksonville, Florida. Kind of warm. I've heard stories about the warm temperatures in Florida. So, Paul, who's on your actual list? Uh, I got another one, man. It's They're coming in fast yeah. and furious. So I'm going to go back to uh, the wonderful land of Germany here, uh, to uh, Leipzig, actually, to our friend top fan Andre Müller, who has, I believe, signed in uh, a couple times in the past that I recall. Andre's an enthusiastic fan of Trek talking and Star Trek, so great to hear from you, Andre. I hope things are treating you well over there in Leipzig. Now, guys, do you know every now and then you get one of those uh, scenes in Star Trek where you see just massive... Uh, 
every like uh, Jordy's area where we just saw where all the ships are docked, right? And it's just yeah. at, at that special station, right? It's just like it's like oh my god, every ship you can imagine is docked here. Well, our next person I want to say hello to is Edwin Stearman, who says live long and prosper. Because Edwin lives in that very kind of place, at least as far as uh, nautical shipping goes. He is in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And that, my friends, is one of the most major port cities on the entire planet. There are just ships everywhere, um, from the biggest, most modern things you can imagine to uh, vintage ships from the 17th century, you name it. Uh, An incredible uh, shipping destination. And uh, a city also known for its uh, tremendous modern architecture. So, uh, I think uh, I think Edwin's living in kind of a cool Star Trek uh, destination myself, uh, and he's flashing the live long and prosper to prove it. So great to hear from you, Edwin. Thanks for uh, checking in. Live long and prosper, and kapla to Sara Dorotic in Zagreb, Croatia. Absolutely wonderful to hear from you, Sara. Thank you so much for being a fan. And finally, for me. It's uh, Ingvedur Ogatoli, who is uh, from Iceland, but currently living in Norway. Uh, I've got a serious Jones to visit those Nordic countries. Um, everybody I know that goes to Iceland sends me back pictures of themselves basking in some phenomenal hot springs. It's just you think of Iceland as being incredibly cold, but I keep seeing people looking like they're in a hot tub when they go there, so I don't know. And it's just pretty much nothing about the Nordic regions that doesn't just blow me away. So I got to go visit that part of the uh, world at some point very soon, Ingvodor. But uh, it is wonderful to hear from you. And I'm betting we got some more folks who are saying hello on our list. Isn't that so, Uncle Jim? Absolutely. We've got some more great ones here. We want to say thank you and kapla to Marine Muzzy Falkenthal. Did I say that right? I think so. Because I... It could have been a profanity. That's a family program, man. Be careful. Yeah, got to be careful. Uh, Who's listening in New Jersey, USA, flashing us the live long and prosper. Thank you so much for being a fan and listening to Trek Talking, Maureen. We also want to say thank you and kapla to Glenn W. Moore, who hails from Manchester, New Hampshire. Been there. It's right over the border. In Vermont, it's a great, great place to visit. Thank you for listening to Glenn. We also want to say thank you and live long and prosper to Pat Bushlong, who's from Niagara, New York, another great place to visit. And last but definitely not least, top fan Randall Logan, who hails from Tacoma, Washington, another great fan. Thank you so much for listening and showing us your support, guys. If you'd like to hear your name mentioned on a future fan shout-out, just head over to Trek Talking on Facebook, and you'll see the pin post at the top of the page. Tell us where you're from, and look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. If you see that, tune into the next podcast, and you're going to hear your name called out. And you know what would be really cool? If you went to our, our page, which is trektalking.com, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little blue microphone, and you could record us a message and say, thank you for mentioning me on the podcast, or just hello, thank you, kapla, leave us a message in Klingon. That's fine, too. Just say hello, because we love interacting with you guys, because Star Trek fans are the best fans. All right, guys, well, uh, that wraps up our 
regularly scheduled program, um, we do, as I said, we do have an unscheduled part of our program. And, yeah, I think, let me, let me I, I got to stall a little bit while I try to find it here. There it is. And to kind of set the mood, Paul is going to be telling us about the Playmates Star Trek Prodigy line. And to get you guys pumped, here's just a little, little, little ditty that my daddy wrote for me. There's one thing I got to say about all these new Star Trek shows, and that is the music is phenomenal, absolutely top-notch. And, of course, that's the theme song from Star Trek Prodigy. And the reason why we're playing that is because our very own toy guy, Paul, has got a segment called The Toy Chest. Take it away, Paul. Paul? Are you there? Sorry about that. Riding that mute button. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> part of my part of my job is just to make sure that uh, I remind everybody that you do not have to buy completely into this whole idea of growing up, and that it's okay to be an adult and have enthusiasm for toys, etc. So I, I think it's trying to just make sure I let that flag fly whenever I can. But a few months ago on this very program, we were lucky enough to talk about the uh, first shipment of uh, Playmates uh, Star Trek figures. Of course, most folks remember Playmates had the line back in the 90s, and then they lost it for a while. And during their heyday, oh my gosh, toy collector fans, did they release just a gazillion different figures from across pretty much every aspect of the Star Trek universe that there was from tvs to films and so we're all very excited when playmates got the line back and hired some of their original talent behind the scenes to uh sculpt and design the figures because that creates a nice feeling of continuity for collectors across the generations there and so we've been waiting with bated breath for the new ones to come out um this next wave that we just are arriving this week is all prodigy associated so in this first group of figures um it's it's a little challenging right because and i know from other franchises and other properties when you are trying to please fans right and you're doing 
characters that aren't photorealistic, like when you're depicting humans, right? Like live action actors, but you're depicting like animated characters like we have on Star Trek Prodigy. So it's a fine line. You want to make sure they look really cool, but don't look too cartoony, but yet they still look realistic. It's, it's kind of like you're trying to please everybody. So super excited and happy to report that uh, Playmates has, uh, I think, knocked it out of the park here. And they did an absolutely great job. To me, these would be figures that uh, would appeal to both, I think, the adult collector and to kids. Because, you know, a lot of times people associate Prodigy as being a kid's show. Though I think don't limit it as a kid's show. Because for my money, it's one of the best Star Trek uh, representations of the franchise out there. It's absolutely great. So if you haven't watched Prodigy yet, wow, you're in for a real treat because it is definitely great and not something you should miss. So uh, let me first uh, just briefly – only got to take a couple minutes here because, wow, we have a lot to talk about with, uh, with uh, this week's Picard. So I don't want to take up too much time. But I will tell you the first figure that we have here is a two-pack, okay? And the two-pack figure features our lead character from the show, Dal Ra'el. And lovable, squishy sidekick, Murph, <laughs> in all his gelatinous, happy splendor here. Uh, so you've got those two characters along with a, uh, a display stand that Dahl can stand on here. Um, they look really, really terrific. And we'll some, put some pictures up on the, uh, the Trek Talking Facebook page so that you all can take a look at those later on tonight. So jump on over to the Facebook page and you can see these up close see what they look like. He's got a couple of hand accessories. I'm pretty sure these are phasers that he has here. Uh, Murph looks really good, and uh, it's great. It's really good attention to detail on here um, that I really appreciate. Um, one of the things, just to point that out, I mean, he's got his braid in the back, uh, Dal does, but it's a tiny little thing. But those of you who know the character know that on Dal Ra'el's right ear, he's got a notch in it from like an injury, right? Where some little piece of it got clipped out, like somebody pulled an earring out of his ear or something like that. And that tiny, tiny little notch is created in his ear right there, just where it should be. So really great work on here. Nice paint apps. Really, really terrific. I definitely recommend it. You can't talk about Dal, though, without talking about his is BFF Gwendala. <laughs> so, and Gwendala is here as well. Um, she's got a ye- really unique facial expression, and I really think that they captured it. She, uh, she doesn't look threatening, but she doesn't look like she's exactly ready to be your best friend either. She looks a little uncertain, which I think is a really great, uh, a great feature to capture for her because it really reflects the character. Uh, really nice paint apps, really clear. A whole bunch of those different... Uh, extending accessories that she's able to manipulate with her neuroflux abilities where she can move all those different fretworks into any kinds of tools or battle swords or shields or what have you. And you've got a whole slew, I think there's at least three of them uh, that are included here uh, for Gwendala along with her, uh, her uh, display stand, if you want to put her on that. Um, But really, really terrific job there. Uh, Next up, one of my favorites. Love this big guy. It's Jankum Pog, our lovable Tellarite. And uh, he's big. <laughs> they didn't skimp or scale him down. He's, he's a big, hefty guy. And he's, he's a little weightier. Uh, the package feels much heavier. Um, he is a mechanical guy, so it's only fitting that he come with lots of tools and accessories and things like that, right? So he's got a camera, a wrench, all kinds of different gizmos that come with here. He's got a great facial expression. Um, again, uh, 
you, a lot of times you go and you look at toys and action figures and uh, you, you're complaining about the paint applications. They're sloppy, especially on the faces. And none of these suffer from that. These are all super clean paint applications. They look really, really good. Nice posability, good articulations, especially on Jenkin Pog's kind of robotic right hand. It looks dynamite, really, really cool. They really did a great job with that, and I'm just turning this around here to make sure I'm not missing anything. But it's just packed full of accessories with Jank and Pog. Um, really uh, nice job. And then during this wave, uh, we conclude this out with the fifth figure because, again, Darrell and Murph was a two-pack. We have fan favorite Zero that we have here, that crazy level Bumba Doosan. And, again, um, really with the character's design, that we have for zero super complicated with all of his different hinges and mechanical arms and his containment suit, right? All those different cast off materials that he's got um, looks kind of unusual. And you're like, okay, that's a lot of articulation, a lot of details, but they really pulled it off, right? Because it's like, it looks great. Nice posability, elbows, knees, all articulated hips articulated. So you can move this guy around. He's got that face porthole. So you can kind of see that weird energy based, uh, uh, you know, diaphanous life form out there drive you crazy if you look at it right but uh, really really good job again he comes with like what looks like a medical kit or a science exploration kit and a, a pad or tricorder he's got his antenna sticking out there um i think they did a great job for this uh, wacky little medusa in here so no issues for me looks really good uh, real nice compliment to the show now the next figure i've seen photos of it already um, that should be coming out is uh, the holographic version of Janeway is on there as well. Yeah. And from what I've seen, looks absolutely dynamite. Now, the nearest information I have on Janeway says uh, second quarter. So we ought to be getting her within the next month or two at the most. Uh, because now that we've got these initial four, hopefully she's right uh, behind us and coming in, bringing up the rear, so to speak. So uh, hopefully we will not be having to wait too much longer for her, um, what I'm super curious about uh, on here, though, is the if you've been hearing me rattle these off, and uh, you wait a second, wait, 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 what's missing? We still don't have Rock Talk, okay? We still do not have that great big uh, lovable uh, scientific explorer Rock Talk. I haven't even seen a picture of Rock Talk yet in terms of any advanced promotional stuff. So uh, if you're listening, Playmates, uh, we got to get Rock Talk out there uh, stat ASAP oh. and uh, complete this group uh, on here. And then I believe we'll have everybody on here, though I still think it would be really great to get the Diviner. I think where you've got uh, Gwendala, you really got to get the antagonist, right? Or, or, uh, or his crazy robotic counterpart that he travels around with that'd be another great figure so well uh playmates i think he'd drop oh go ahead go ahead i, I heard uh, i was gonna say uh i got my wish list in let's do a rock talk and rock talk and murph 2.0 oh the different version yeah yes yes let's bring in the other murph and yeah. we got all these characters in the new uniforms too which would yeah. be great yeah, but I, I think, uh, Playmates, these are great. Really, really good. Big, big character. Rotok is huge. Yeah. Yeah, but it's certainly bigger than Jank and Pog, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I would like to see that. I think that would probably be a double-sized character is my guess. Like, you know, 
one of those uh, you know deluxe things like you see the McFarland toy companies do, right, where it's a bigger size box and you know it's kind of a it's going to be a bigger uh, you know, more deluxe package, but I think pack it full of accessories or do it as a two pack, but you gotta, you can't leave this crew incomplete. I think that's one of the things I would say, right? You got to have them all together. We want to see them together. We want to pose them as a crew together because they've been through so much together. Um, So we definitely want to be able to uh, uh, get that whole thing together here, playmates. And I should also mention um on here uh playmates uh if you're you know again dreadnought would be great we would love dreadnought in addition to the diviner right uh, you gotta have them but as far as i know playmates from your star trek license you have now released everything that you've given us pictures of okay so everything that you've shown us previews for and your websites and stuff uh anything that's been shown at a convention as far as i know um, for Star Trek has now been released. So what that means, friends, it's time to tease us again. It's time to release the next group of photos of what will hopefully be a, a wave of who knows what coming soon. Will they be Strange New World figures? Will they be Picard figures? More Discovery figures, which I would love? Who knows? But but we got them. Um, I, on behalf of toy collectors everywhere, I just want to say, Playmates, you're doing a heck of a job. It's really good to have you back at the helm uh, creating Star Trek toys. Um, also, big shout out to them for their vehicles and their accessories like the phaser and communicator and the, the new Enterprise that they've done as well. Spectacular job. Um, I just want to throw out one more comment, and that is that uh, we hear so often, oh, boy, do toy collectors like to complain. Oh, my God. And uh, I will tell you, a lot of times people talk about inflation and stuff, but these Playmates figures are preposterously reasonably priced. They really, really are. For what you get, they are, I think, frankly, a, an incredible bargain. So you can find these anywhere. Uh, Amazon right now, uh, exclusive toy companies like uh, Entertainment Earth and Big Bad Toy Store have them. So there's, uh, they're available. They're in stock. Go get them, fans. And uh, I think that wraps up my little uh, toy yep. segment, Jim, for this week. But they're really, really fun. And we'll put pictures up uh, later tonight. Absolutely. No, I was look. I was looking online. Amazon has them for fourteen sixty six, but they won't ship until the middle of May. I looked on Target, and they are twelve something, and I can get them next week. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, Amazon's so well, weird, though. It's like I get toys from them all the time, and it'll say, you know, you're a uh, you know, releases in September, right? And you order it, and then magically you get a, an email. Your item has shipped. <laughs> they release, I think they always sort of under-promise as far as release dates go, because uh, you just never know when it's going to come out. So it's, it's kind of cool. But, uh, but they're doing a really good job on there. In fact, uh, another person, you know, Uncle Jim, who also is collecting these figures and is delighted to be able to show them off, is our good friend of the show, uh, Aaron Waldke who is, of course, Emmy-winning screenwriter and executive producer of Prodigy uh, on Paramount, and uh, as well as shows like Troll Hunters and Wizards and Unikitty. And he is no, not shy at showing off his Prodigy figures. Because how cool is that when you create a bunch of uh, storylines and then you could see some of your characters uh, depicted, right? And, uh, and the very universe that you yourself get to dabble in as a writer. And there are the toys themselves. So pretty cool. But I'm really hoping when he's free, we get to have uh, Aaron Walkie back on the show again. And I'm glad to see you've got toys in your house as well, my friend. So 
Uh, go out and get some toys, people, and uh, watch Prodigy, and uh, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program, Jim. Yes, thank you for another awesome toy chest from the very own Paul the Toy Guy. And uh, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays, which means we have to hear for more. That was not a Klingon song. Guys, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays, and we always start off by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we usually turn to Eric. However, Eric isn't with us live, but we do have virtual Eric. So, virtual Eric, take it away. Our first remembrance this week goes out to Joseph Ruskin, born Joseph Richard Schlaufman. Joe Ruskin was an American actor who appeared in four of the first five live-action Star Trek television series and in Star Trek Insurrection. On TOS, he played the part of Galt in the Gamesters of Triskelion. He appeared on DS9, playing the Klingon Tumek in two episodes, The House of Quark and Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places. In between these episodes, he played a Cardassian informant on the episode Improbable Cause. He was cast as a Sona officer in Star Trek Insurrection and appears in Star Trek Voyager in the episode Gravity, in which he plays a Vulcan master. Ruskin's final Star Trek appearance was in Star Trek Enterprise as a Suliban doctor on the pilot episode Broken Bow. Ruskin also worked on two Star Trek video games, lending his voice to Master Satan in Star Trek Hidden Evil and to Admiral Nolotai and Vulcan Master Nikal in Star Trek Away Team in 2001. Ruskin was a U.S. Navy vet, having served during World War II, and he studied drama at Carnegie Tech, which is now Carnegie Mellon University, and began his acting career at the Pittsburgh Playhouse. He had a long and distinguished career, appearing in television series as early as 1959, and made a career out of television guest appearances and several television and film movies. In his later years, he had a reoccurring role as Alliance member Elaine Kristoff in J.J. Abrams' series Alias, as well as playing an elderly mob boss in Smoking Aces, which featured Chris Pine. Truly an actor to be remembered. Happy birthday and lots of love going out to Joe Ruskin. Jay Robinson was an American actor who appeared as Trojan Ambassador Petri in the TOS third season episode Alan of Troyes. Robinson's most well-known role is that of Caligula in the 1953 biblical epic The Robe, which also marked his film debut. Robinson would reprise the role of Caligula the following year in the sequel Demetrius and the Gladiators. In 1955, Robinson co-starred with TOS guest actress Joan Collins and Leslie Parrish in the historical drama The Virgin Queen. After recovering from a drug addiction and career-ruining jail sentence, Robinson returned to acting on television in the late 1960s. He would eventually appear in Woody Allen's Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask in 1972, Nightmare Honeymoon in 1973, Shampoo in 75, The Sword and the Sorcerer in 82, and Big Top Pee-wee in 1988. Robinson's more recent films include Francis Ford Coppola's 1992 blockbuster version of Bram Stoker's Dracula and the 1993 horror movie Skeeter. 
a number of television guest appearances, and TV movies round out Jay's career. Happy birthday and remembrances going out to Jay Robinson. Our next remembrance goes out to actress Arlene Martell, who was the actress that played T'Pring in the TOS second season episode, Amuck Time. Born Arlene Greta Sachs, she also used that name when she made her film debut in the 1964 mystery The Glass Cage, which was one of her few movie roles as a leading lady. In 1965, Martell was among the candidates for the role of Dr. Elizabeth Denner for the second Star Trek pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before. However, the role would have required her to wear silver contact lenses, which may have damaged her sensitive eyes. Nearly two years later, she auditioned for Star Trek again, this time for the role of Sylvia in Cat's Paw. Again, she didn't get cast because the production staff had seen her as the ideal actress for T'Pring in Amok Time. Forty years after her role on Star Trek, Martell appeared as a Vulcan priestess in the fan film Star Trek of Gods and Men, directed by and co-starring Tim Russ, as well as myriad other Star Trek personnel. She had many guest star roles on shows like The Twilight Zone, The Untouchables, Perry Mason, and Mission Impossible, and was married three times, having three children along the way. She was a staunch animal rights activist who worked with Last Chance for Animals to prevent the selling of dogs and cats for medical research, and appeared in an HBO special investigative report on the subject. Happy birthday and lots of love going out to Arlene Martell. Our next remembrance goes out to actor Michael George Ansara. Michael Ansara was the Lebanese-American actor best known to Star Trek fans for playing Kang in the original series' third season episode, Day of the Dove. He would later reprise that role on Deep Space Nine's second season episode, Blood Oath, and Star Trek Voyager's third season episode, Flashback. Michael also appeared later as Jael on the DS9 fourth season episode, The Muse. Ansara emigrated with his family to the United States when he was only two years old. He was married to I Dream of Jeannie actress Barbara Eden from 1958 through 1974 and appeared on several episodes of the show himself. Due to his darker skin complexion, Ansara was often cast in the role of a Native American, including roles such as Chief Cochise on the ABC TV western Broken Arrow from 1956 through 1958, and as U.S. Marshal Sam Buckert on NBC's short-lived western television series Law of the Plainsmen. He also played a Native American man in 1978's miniseries Centennial. Ansara has had many other television and movie appearances of note, including co-starring with TOS regular James Doohan in a 1964 episode of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Ansara played the villain Killer Kane in four episodes of the 1979-1981 sci-fi series Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, and he worked with Ricardo Montalban on three feature films. Ansara also did some voice work, becoming recognizable as the voice of DC Comics character Mr. Freeze on various animated Batman series. He did this between 1992 and 2009. Go check out his IMDb. It's very impressive uh, and quite extensive. Happy birthday and lots of love going out to Michael, George, and Sarah. Kapla! Staying in that TOS era, we're saying happy birthday this week as well to Robert Walker Jr., Robert Walker was the actor who portrayed Charlie Evans in the TOS first season episode, Charlie X. 
Despite playing that 17-year-old Charlie Evans, Walker was actually 26 years old at the time. He was approached again in 1997 for a role on Deep Space Nine's sixth season, but he was, quote, not interested in renewing his acting career, according to Ira Steve Bear. Bear remembered, he said, When I lived in Malibu, Robert Walker Jr. ran a store there, and I used to see him on occasion. I used to think, oh my god, it's Charlie X. Walker made his film debut opposite Kirk Douglas and future Star Trek The Next Generation guest star Nehemiah Persoff in The Hook, which opened in 1963. He starred in a handful of made-for-TV movies throughout the years and stayed active for a number of years making guest television appearances. Walker has two post-DS9 credits to his name, one for a short film called Lock It Up Dog, and another as Agent Mills in 2018's Beyond the Darkness. Happy birthday and lots of love going out to Robert Walker. Speaking of Charlie X, we're also saying happy birthday and remembering Charles J. Stewart this week. Charles Stewart was the actor who portrayed Ramart in that same TOS first season episode, Charlie X. If you don't remember who he is, he was the captain of the ship that Charlie X destroyed, completely blew up with his mind. Stewart is the only actor who appeared in the classic 1953 science fiction film War of the Worlds to have a credited speaking role in a Star Trek production. Neat little trivia there. He also made guest appearances on shows like My Favorite Martian, Batman, Bewitched, The Invaders, The Brady Bunch, The Invisible Man, and Knott's Landing. Charles also starred in a few made-for-TV movies, including The Miracle of Kathy Miller, Grace Kelly, and War of the Colossal Beast. Happy birthday and remembrances going out to Charles J. Stewart. We're also saying happy birthday this week to the uh, very prolific actor Peter Mark Richmond. Uh, Peter Richmond played Ralph Offenhaus in the Next Generation first season episode, The Neutral Zone. Peter was born Marvin Jack Richmond and grew up one of five children in a very poor family, which he uh, talked about occasionally. An amazingly prolific actor, Richmond was no stranger to science fiction, appearing in two episodes of The Outer Limits, as well as The Twilight Zone's penultimate episode, The Fear. He was henceforth to alternate between playing nasty villains, stern authority figures, and stoic heroes, and became one of the most liked and often killed guys on television. He appeared in motion pictures such as Naked Gun 2 and a Half, The Smell of Fear, and the comedy Dempsey, also in Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Peter also had more than 100 guest television credits to his uh, five-decade career, including Chrissy Snow's father, a reverend, on Three's Company in a reoccurring role. In 1993, Richmond played Lawrence Carson on Beverly Hills 90210, and he dabbled in the voicing game a little bit, too. He voiced the older version of Peter Parker and some additional voices in the 1990s animated series Spider-Man. In addition to his work in front of the camera, Richmond was something of a Renaissance man. He was a noted humanitarian for which he was awarded a silver medallion from the Motion Picture and Television Fund and an accomplished painter from an early age. He trained at the Philadelphia Sketch Club. Describing himself as a figurative expressionist, Richmond had at least 17 successful one-man exhibitions on the West Coast and in New York, primarily portraits of oil on canvas. He's also written two novels and several stage plays, 
two of which include his solo show Four Faces and the one-act play A Medal for Murray. Happy birthday and uh, just a lot of respect going out to Peter Mark Richmond, who lived to the ripe old age of 93. We lost him just back in January of 2021. Happy birthday, Peter. We're also saying happy birthday this week to actor David Graff. David Graff was an American actor who guest starred as Fred Noonan in the Star Trek Voyager second season episode, The 37s. He was also on Deep Space Nine as the character Leskett in the fifth season episode, Soldiers of the Empire. In addition to his episodic appearances, Graff also did voice work on several Trek video games, including Star Trek Voyager Elite Force and Star Trek Away Team. He's best remembered for his role as officer and later sergeant Eugene Tackleberry in all seven of the Police Academy movies from 1984 through 1994. Struggling to find acting work at the beginning of his career, he made his television debut as a contestant on the game show The $20,000 Pyramid, where he won $10,000 with the help of celebrity guest panelist Patty Duke. After his game show appearance, Graff took on several small guest roles on popular shows like MASH, The A-Team, and Hardcastle and McCormick. He actually appeared in the last two episodes of another show we've talked about before, Beauty and the Beast, in 1990. David Graff would work with future Star Trek Enterprise actors Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell on their series Quantum Leap. He was described as a quiet man who never forgot his roots. In fact, he always returned to Lancaster, Ohio every year in October for the Fairfield County Fair. It was his way of staying in touch with his roots. Happy birthday and lots of remembrances and love going out to actor David Graff, lost way too early at the age of 50. Finally, our last remembrance this week goes out to actor Robert Duquee. Robert Duquee was an Oklahoma-born actor who played Nagra in the Deep Space Nine four-season episode Sons of Moog. Born in 1934, he attended Langston University on a music scholarship and was a member of the popular singing group the Langstonaires. Following a four-year stint in the U.S. Air Force, Duquee went to New York to pursue a career in show business. He began appearing on television in the mid-60s and frequently portrayed tough, hard-nosed, say-it-like-you-see-it characters with a great deal of fiery bravado and steely conviction. Dequee and fellow Star Trek guest actors Bruce Davidson, Zane Cassidy, and Charles Rocket won a Golden Globe Award as part of the cast of Robert Altman's 1993 film, Shortcuts. However, he's probably best known for playing Police Sergeant Warren Reed in the popular 1987 film, RoboCop. One of his earliest film roles was an uncredited appearance in 1965's The Cincinnati Kid. Dequee had several other noteworthy film uh, credits to his name throughout his life, but in addition to those acting credits, Dequee served 10 years on the board of directors of the Screen Actors Guild, during which time he encouraged both women and minority groups to participate more in the media. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to actor Robert Dequee. And that does it for our remembrances this week. I'm now going to pass that flaming birthday candle back over to my fellow Trexperts. Well, thank you so much, Virtual Eric. And uh, it's time to talk about Star Trek stars who are still with us. And for that, we're going to go to Charles. Thank you. I'll take this candle. 
I'll start off. Let's start beginning with Faith Salee, who played Serena Douglas in DS9 six and seven season episode Statistical Probability and Chrysalis. Douglas Spain, actor from Los Angeles, California, who played Jacote in Star Trouble with Edward. Belinda Gier, Metallogram Ellie in Discovery's third season episode, Die Trying, and There is a Tide. Brendan, Brendan also appeared in nine episodes of X-Files between season three and season four. A reoccurring, I believe, was a detective. Tim Ransom played the genetically engineered human Jack in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, six and seven season episodes Statistical Probability and Chrysalis. Just like fellow co-actor uh, Sale. Interesting thing on Tim is his singing voice was dubbed into the episode Chrysalis. So when you hear singing in there, that is actually his voice. <clears throat> this one was definitely a conversation piece when we got through the end of uh, Discovery Season 1. A very happy birthday, Clint Howard. Let me go down his list. Played Bollock in TOS episode The Coronet Maneuver. A child who played that being. Buck in Enterprise's Acquisition. In DS9's Past Tense Part 2. And played the creepy Orion Discovery, Will You Take My Hand? As the one giving uh, Tilly that Titanic uh, fault, I believe it was, that got her falling down. Interesting that Clint has appeared in 16 films directed by his elder brother, Ron Howard. It's interesting that Ron Howard and all his productions, brother appears in a lot of them. And finally, Ian Alexander, American actor and Twitch streamer, played Gray Tall in the third and fourth season episode of Dark Trek Discovery. Ten episodes all together. Can't wait to see more of Gray appear. And if you want to see a little more of Gray, or Alec, uh, Ian, go look up on YouTube and look up Discovery Does D&D. As later on, I think we'll hear about DM. But I'm going to take Fleming's hand before it gets too low and pass <laughs> it on to Paul. Thanks, Charles. Absolutely. Let me echo a big happy birthday to Ian Alexander. Uh Big yeah. fans here on the show, and uh, wish you all the very best. Keep at it. 
I've got all kinds of folks who are celebrating birthdays this week. Uh, first of all, happy birthday to a couple of child actors. Uh, I'd like to uh, wish Emma Ho a happy birthday, who played Oriana in the Strange New World's first season episode, All Those Who Wonder. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Emma is related to Ian Ho. Could be, but another child actor who played the first servant in the Strange New World's first season episode, Lift Us, Where Suffering cannot reach so a couple of excellent younger voices who are joining the star trek universe you get a role as a youngster might kind of plant the seed where you want to keep doing it so who knows what other roles uh, that we'll see those two in as time uh, progresses very cool individual here i'd like to wish a huge olympian birthday to actor Michael Forrest, who we acknowledge for all kinds of good things, but we first of all became to know Michael uh, for playing the God Apollo in the original series, second season episode, Who Mourns for Adonis? Uh, Michael Forrest had all kinds of interesting work. Uh, It had been on the early uh, editions of The Twilight Zone and has done movies as diverse as Ninja Scroll, uh, King Kong Lives, and Castaway uh, with Tom Hanks. And very, very cool. Uh, I just love the fact that years later, Michael Forrest got a chance to reprise uh, the character of a Greek god Apollo uh, due to the really amazing uh, web series uh, Star Trek Continues, which... Uh, bring you know basically continues the original series um in the same visual and storytelling style as the original series episode did um really great uh, from the mind of uh, vic mignona and uh and it's great because you get to see in an episode called pilgrim of eternity uh which is really amazing it might be one of the very first ones they did it could even be the first episode of star trek continues um you can see uh uh, Michael Forrest re- recreating that role, and uh, he's great. He's got a lot of great acting chops, very cool things. So check that out if you're ever wishing there were old uh, original series episodes that, that never got made. You wish there was more. You'd swear you were watching one when you watched Star Trek Continues. They did a heck of a good job. So really, really excellent production there. Uh, I'd also like to wish happy birthday to Elizabeth Capuliani Lindsay, who played Louisa Kim in the Next Gen first season episode, Home Soil. A lot of birthdays happening right now. Um, but the delightful Jessica McKenna is an American voice actress and actress and also sometime comedian who portrays Barnes and the Cerritos computer in the animated series Star Trek Lower Decks. So Jessica McKenna, keeping those chops working, doing all kinds of roles everywhere. Uh, but excellent. Uh, wonderful to have you uh, being a vibrant and scintillating part of the Star Trek universe. Um, really cool. Another old school uh, original series uh, actor here. Um, shouting it out to uh, actress Eleanor Donahue, okay, who, uh, if you are loving the old uh, original Zeph from Cochrane, uh, original story, the episode Metamorphosis, right? Um, Eleanor Donahue played Federation Commissioner Nancy Hedford, who ends up becoming the, you know, kind of uh, romantic catalyst, if you will, for all kinds of things on that episode. But Eleanor Donahue uh, done a lot of amazing work over the years, um, especially if you're a fan of like late 50s, early 60s TV. She was on like uh, Father Knows Best, Andy Griffith's show, did uh, 
a, a Freddy movie <laughs> at one point, and the incredible box office colossus, uh, Pretty Woman, with uh, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts, uh, worked a lot, uh, tons and tons of credits. Um, but some of us will always think of you as uh, Zephram Kopkin's girlfriend, <laughs> Eleanor. So I don't know if we can help ourselves because that was pretty darn indelible. So there you go. Happy birthday goes out to you. Happy birthday also to Peter. Appears as uh, Nibor in the Next Gen Menage a Troy episode as Raja in uh, Next Gen Suspicions. And as Berta in Next Gen Blood Rhines, these are all Ferengi, right? And then, uh, boy, apparently he really was good at getting the makeup on and not complaining because Peter got cast a lot in three different Next Gen roles and three different characters. That's pretty amazing. And uh, if that's not all, and played Krenim Commandant in uh, the classic Voyager arc, Year of Hell and Year of Hell Part Two, which is just amazing. So pretty cool. A lot of great work going on there. Um, pardon me if I plots and uh, and gush a bit for our next, uh, my last happy birthday, but one who I'm just a, a, a huge fan of. And uh, oh my, if he does not have an interesting story, of course, we're talking about the legendary George Takei. Okay. Hikaru Sulu himself what a story this man has uh, uh, a treasure a national treasure uh is born uh, in sacramento to japanese parents his father was born in japan and uh, hugely influential uh, in his life story as a boy as after the pearl harbor attack uh, he and his family uh, were relocated and moved to a uh, a relocation camp uh, first one in Arkansas, and then later moved to a camp in uh, Tule Lake in Northern California. So he had just incredible firsthand knowledge of the absolutely unjust internment of over 120,000 Japanese Americans that they had to endure uh, during World War II. It really colored his interest in portraying characters. And uh, he ultimately ended up uh, working on a play uh, that has become a huge hit. Uh, it's a musical called Allegiance uh, that is uh, basically set during the Japanese-American internment of World War II, inspired by his personal experiences. And, uh, and he is the star of that uh, show as well. It was a huge hit here in Broadway when it uh, debuted uh, in San Diego. And my understanding is it's doing really, really well in London. Uh, right now as well, where he's, you know, spreading the timeless issue of of treating people with dignity and not imprisoning them by a guilt of association. Um, fun story about George Takei. Uh, early in his uh, career, um, he got a job uh, in 1956 on the MGM lot, right? And he would, you know, the old uh, Godzilla movie, Rodan, about the, the giant bird, right? Rodan from 1956. Not a Godzilla movie, but you know what I mean. Um, he got a job on the MGM lot. And he uh, dubbed like eight different characters from Japanese into, into English for Rodan, which is great, man. Science fiction was something that apparently was in his stars and you could never escape. And so he got bit by the acting bug hard 
after that fun experience. And he transferred to UCLA as a theater arts major. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, of course, uh, he, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry wanted a diverse crew. Right. It was very important to me. So he, to him. So he was cast in Where No Man Has Gone Before in the second pilot. And he remained a regular character uh, when the series went into production um, during one of the hiatuses of the uh, second. I think it was the first season, if I remember correctly. He did a John Wayne picture called The Green Berets as well. And then, of course, uh, was massively influential in the feature film franchise of all of the Star Trek uh, movies. Uh, wonderful to see him in uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where he uh, shows he's obtained the rank of captain, right? Which is just amazing. And uh, a lot of uh, Captain Sulu fans out there who continue uh, to enjoy depictions of him and uh, also appeared in a flashback in uh, Star Trek Voyager as well. So he is just an amazing human being. He's run quite a few different uh, marathons. He ran the uh, Olympic Torch during the torch relay in 1984 for the Olympics. And he, of course, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and is a sometime uh, regular guest on the uh, wacky and unpredictable Howard Stern radio program, where he is hysterical because uh, he's a very unfiltered guest. And you can always count on George to shoot straight, if you'll pardon the expression, <laughs> and tell it like it is. He's a wonderful human being, and it's just... Uh, uh, a treasure knowing he's out there. He is uh, one of the great bright lights uh, insisting on uh, dignity and uh, equality and respect for all. And so uh, a very heroic uh, member of the Star Trek community, if you want my opinion. And uh, I just think he's a, a delight. May you be out there and entertain us for many, many long more years to come. George Takei, thank you for everything you've done. You are an absolute delight. Jim, let me pass it to you, buddy. Well, um, on the on the George front, I just want to say the breaking news is that uh, Alex Kurtzman has announced that we are going to get a Star Trek TV movie every two years on Paramount+. Plus. The first one is going to be Section 31 with Michelle Yeoh, which I'm really psyched about. But who knows? Maybe the second one would be Captain Sulu. Fans and George himself have been clamoring for a Captain Sulu for years. And now that we have this two-hour movie um, thing going on, maybe we will get to see the adventures of Captain Sulu on the USS Excelsior. Wouldn't that be great? We'll have to wait. Oh, dude, well, we've approved right now that, I mean, like this season three of Picard has shown that the love for the legacy characters is just un unprecedented okay i mean it's just it's crazy people would eat that up with a spoon that would be a huge hit i think i mean everybody loves george i mean he's great and he just brings it he's got so much energy and creativity um, i think that's a sensational idea i think we should champion that i love that idea yeah if you're listening paramount plus there you have it <laughs> so, yeah come on cbs yeah, let's think, get going <laughs> i i I think what they're doing there is great. I think this two-hour movie uh, format gives them opportunities to do things that they couldn't do in a full episodic or a full series, but just some little one-offs. And I think Captain Sulu is the perfect one-off. So let's see. Yeah, if can make somebody it. pitches a great idea. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to being explored in multiple hours for a long time 
series format, but it's a great Star Trek story, right? It's, it's cool. It's new or it's something that we've always wanted but never got. I mean, those are great. It's a terrific format because it almost lends itself to like, you know, a recurring like an anthology kind of format, except instead of an hour long thing, you're getting movies. It's really smart. I think it's a really neat idea. It's, it's like it doesn't tie an act down for a year. It ties him down for a few months, which means right. it's easier to get people like Michelle Yeoh for a few months than having to tie her down to a a entire season, which can take a year or more to film. Yeah, and that really speaks to her fondness for uh, the property and for the character, right? Because here she's just yeah. fresh off the Oscar, right? Just nailed the Oscar. She's the most popular actor alive right now. I mean, she could have her pick of anything that she wants to do. What does she want to do? She wants to come back and, and uh, do justice to that character that she's so fond of. And, uh, and, yeah. and God, what a neat thing. I just thought that was wonderful when she announced that with great affection. I mean, it just goes to, we really are living in a cool, uh, resurgent uh, period of Star Trek right now. It's, it's, these are neat times, which a lot more to come, which is just so great, dude. You know, first we got short treks, now we have long treks, right? So let's, <laughs> yeah. yeah let's, see how, let's see how that plays out. Sign me up, buddy. Sign me up. I'm ready. I've got a couple more birthdays to go for, and then we're going to get our fan scores on last week's episode. So first, I want to say happy birthday to Ashley Judd. You may have heard of her. Uh, she played Ensign Robin Leafler in the TNG fifth season episodes, Darmok. And the game. Next, I want to wish happy birthday to Robert Hooks, who played Admiral Morrow in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Good Admiral, evil Admiral. Uh, Virtual Eric isn't here, so uh, we'll leave that for him to worry about. Uh, Next, I want to say happy birthday to Sol Rodriguez, who's an Argentinian actor who played Teresa Ramirez in the second season of Star Trek Picard. Uh, she's the one that uh, Rios ran off with, uh, who had the, the young son in season two of Picard. Happy birthday. Uh, the next one is a big one. He's married to Tilly herself, Mary Wiseman. He's also been on this podcast a couple of times. Uh, he does, uh, he plays D&D with the Discovery actors. Um, of course, we're talking about the awesome Noah Aberbat Catch, who played Rin in Star Trek Discovery's third season episode, Scavengers, The Sanctuary, and There Is a Tide. Uh, he is so funny. We've had him on the podcast. He's great. He was a Star Trek fan. He went to Star Trek conventions, just like all of us do. And uh, then he ended up marrying the awesome Mary Wiseman and being on Star Trek himself. So, Dreams do come true. Rin's, a, with it. Rin's the Andorian, right? Yeah. Yes, he's the Andorian that got his testicles. Yeah, cut that off. guy's awesome. He yeah, is awesome. He's fantastic. Yeah. Really, really, he really is. fun. Yeah, we we've had him on a couple. Yeah, of more times, of that guy, please. <laughs> I I want to. I'm trying to get him to come back on again. Uh, we were going to have him on, but then when Discovery, he couldn't talk to us because of the Discovery thing because. Mary Wiseman wasn't in season four a lot because they were working on that Starfleet thing and he couldn't talk about it. So, but now that that's over, maybe we can get him to come back on now. We'll definitely see, but he's a great guy. He's so much yeah. fun. 
That was a neat character, oh. man. I liked that character a lot. That was really fun. So I'll, I'll reach out to him again and see if we can get him back on the show. And I always save Klingons for last. And I do have two Klingons to uh, wish a happy birthday to. Although, I don't know if Klingons would be a happy birthday, I guess. I, they'd be out, like, killing stuff and drinking blood and eating beating hearts and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, we want to say happy birthday to Lisa Lacero, who played the role of Ensign Miral Paris the daughter of Bolana Torres and Tom Paris in the Star Trek Voyager seven season episode Endgame. Um, interesting enough though, I don't think she's their real daughter because if I'm correct, Endgame didn't Janeway go back in time and change it all. So it never happened. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if, if she's still around or not, but happy birthday to Lisa Lacero. And uh, last on my list, we want to say to Kathy Sheriff, who's the Canadian actress who played Valkyris in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. And that wraps up our birthdays, guys. And uh, every week on our Facebook page, I ask you guys, our fans, to tell us your score of this week's episode and why on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And virtual Eric isn't with us, so Paul, what did our fans <laughs> have to say about Vox? We had all kinds of excited opinions that folks were kind enough to take time to share with us. Love this first one here from top fan Bill McCoy. I give it a 9.5. Plot is a little stretch, but classic track. I don't know how they will give us a satisfying finale in a one-hour episode. It is good to see the crew back together one last time. Looking forward to the spinoffs. I am 72 and am still like a kid with anything track. Right on, Bill. Totally relate, brother. Susan Burke Giganti says, I'm giving it a 10. Excellent writing. I cried at the end. I may have to see it again because it was packed with info. I'm a little worried about the wrap-up of the series being satisfactory. I do trust the writers and want to see where this goes. Top fan Tim Wickline I give it an absolute 10. There is so much packed into this episode. I am eagerly awaiting the next episode, but also tearful that it will be the last. <laughs> I know, Tim. It's, it's a mixed bag, brother. Rihanna McKenzie, 10. All the feels. I laughed. I cried. Exactly what I hoped for, except for poor Shaw. Mm. We'll talk about this, Rihanna, and we will. Steve Everett, 10. I'm sensing a trend. Vox was incredible. Story and story ideas were nicely developed. I love that they worked to explain how it happened and that what they did with JLP was basically turn him into a genetic version of a Trojan horse. My only question thought is, what about Borg Gerardi? We've asked ourselves that question a lot. It would have been a great idea to have both types of Borg battle it out. Oh, Steve Everett, I think we need to get some... Uh, Get a writing credit for you, buddy. I like I like your ideas. Very cool. I'm wondering about that, too. Top fan Ryan Kelly, 9.5. If Shaw had survived, it would be a 10. <laughs> uh, top fan, look at all the top fans. They're so excited about this episode. So many top fans weighing in. Top fan Estella Yuna, 9.8. I laughed. I sobbed. I did both at the same time. <laughs> LOL. I wish Shaw made it out alive. Boy, Shaw, you got a lot of fans on this on this uh, podcast, brother. 
Uh, top fan, Eithney P. Snyder. I hope I'm saying your name right, uh, Eithney. Eithney. I'm so sorry. I, I'm, I'm not trying to pronounce it. I, I want to do it right. Top fan, though, says 10, exclamation point. But where is Gerardi? Will she be in the last episode? Corey Day says nine. The nostalgia was great and revealing Jack's origin and the Borg changeling link. Shaw's death was a kick in the nuts. <laughs> They're really in a mess now. I'm expecting them to technobabble a solution to shut down the link and the Borg drones. They got a lot to do in a one-hour episode. <laughs> great assessment, Corey. Top fan Bob uh, Rimza says Five. Bob says, back to the Borg, even though it seems like it is a direct conflict with the season two and first contact. The Borg are like that booger you can't get off your finger. <laughs> Bob. And even though it was uh, great to see the bridge crew back on the Enterprise D, the thought that Jordy was putting it back together like a 67 Nova in his garage is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> the same for the notion that a partial bridge crew is going to take the ship into combat and save the Federation again. Was disappointed to see Shaw die. The ending is predictable, but I guess I will have to wait and see how many survive. Robert S. Kissler says nine. There's one major flaw, though, in the storyline. They claim they had not heard anything from the Borg in 10 years. Yet last year's storyline was about contacting Borg, or should I say the Borg contacting Starfleet, Picard specifically. Borg Queen Dr. Gerati to the rescue? Hmm. <laughs> A lot of people are wondering about that, Robert. Brady Mikesell, 9.5. Only a few things that bug me. Again, I feel like the writers forgot about the end of season two. It's been over a decade since anyone has seen the Borg. Wait, wasn't that maybe a year ago? Also, whatever happened to that transwarp conduit just sitting there with the other Borg queen standing watch? Also, Gerardi was a good Borg. Why hasn't anyone thought of getting her help? Seems like she could help a lot being a Borg queen. I do feel like they should have said something about that by now. Even if we just found out that this other Borg queen killed Gerardi, if they didn't want Gerardi as part of the solution, hell, they it could have had this other Borg queen come through that transport conduit and kill Gerardi. Not that I want Gerardi dead, but it would have been a way of tying that loose end if they didn't want Gerardi involved. So that bugged me. Uh, but on the other hand, they have done a really good job tying everything else together. Not perfect, but really good. On the whole, they probably plugged more plot holes along the way than any TNG series before. Again, not perfect. And there is the issue with the Jurati Borg Queen, <laughs> seeming to have been forgotten. But other than that, I love the season and really super enjoyed this episode. That was Brady Mike Sell. So I am now going to take my crazy uh, combination uh, abacus and spreadsheet, and I'm going to crush it together here and shake it and turn it upside down, and that gives us a ricochet-inducing fan score, ladies and gentlemen, of 9.3 from our enthusiastic fans. Uh, a lot of uh, very interesting themes that came out of that. Um, everyone is clearly wondering uh, if the writers just chose to ignore the last couple of seasons of Picard, especially the board components. It seems to be something everyone's like, but wait a second, hold on. What about everything we watched last year? And everyone seems super, super bummed about Shaw. But, you know, is anything forever in the land of science fiction? I don't know. But 9.3 is a pretty exciting score 
for this penultimate episode of the very last season of Star Trek Picard. Uh, I think it's important before we talk about the episode of last week and dive right in. It's always good. We love history on this show. And it's always good to remember what the influences were that maybe, you know, one might want to go back and revisit having seen that. No one's better suited to go in and give us a dive on that and bring these up than our good friend Charles with a little cadet training. Am I right, Charles? Exactly. Computer. I got a few in here, but I think we get enough interest in it. Let's drop at the Borg. When did we see the Borg first? Well, in the series, we went to Q-Who, TNG's Q-Who, season two, episode 16. That was when Q took us to the, to the Delta Quadrant and introduced us to the first Borg. The interaction, which is still a big topic, is best of both worlds. Season <clears throat> season three, episode twenty six. Season four, episode one. The big cliffhanger. And then all the way over to Voyager. Season six, episode twenty six. Season eight, season seven, episode one, where we get the introduction to our first transwarp. Trans work onto it. Interesting. I did not realize this. The F is actually based on Star Trek Online. It was an actual contest, and a winner was chosen. And that is the image they use for the Enterprise F. And speaking back of best of both worlds. That's where we met Commander Shelby, which, interesting, we learned the fact that we now meet Admiral Elizabeth Shelby. Shelby never had a first name, but this is not the only time we've seen her. We also got a glimpse of her in Lower Decks, in an embarrassment of Doppler's. Episode 5, where we meet Captain Shelby in her number one. We get to see the Enterprise D. If you want to get a little more detail on the Enterprise D, just watch The Next Generation. The interesting shot we had of Geordi and Data flying the ship. We can go all the way back to TNG C1. And Wesley usually switched, and the one sitting in front in that chair. So, Jim, I think we want to discuss this episode. I think the first character we probably would discuss it first. Yes, absolutely. We're going to have virtual Eric dive right in here first, and then the rest of our co hosts are going to join right in. So, take it away. Virtual Eric.
having learned nothing about the dangers of centralized computing systems from the many, many episodes that deal with the topic in TOS, TNG, Discovery, and Star Trek Prodigy, Starfleet has gathered their entire fleet together for a parade to whip up the troops with fireworks and plenty of fanfare. Welcome to Frontier Day. Hey gang, this is Eric, and these are my thoughts on Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 9, entitled Vox. There's no question this episode hits the ground running. We start off with Troy and Jack back in Jack's mind, about to open the elusive and scary red door. Before the door is opened, we get an interesting pseudo-monologue by Jack talking about the Crimson Arboretum on Rare Ten Four, which is a Delton planet located in the Beta Quadrant. You'll remember we previously heard about this planet in the Picard Season 2 opener, where Soji and Gerardi had gone as part of a goodwill tour on behalf of the Synthetics. We don't really know what the Crimson Arboretum is, but we know Jack remembers hearing a song there, a melody that he thinks contains something passed down to him. Jack discusses so many blossoms, so much life, thousands of flowers. I assume he's talking about connections to members of the collective that he's always sort of heard in his mind on the side, but now he's becoming aware of them for the first time. Becoming aware that the voice in his head isn't his mother's, but belongs instead to Alice Kriege, our Borg queen from 1996's Star Trek First Contact. I really like this big reveal scene, and find the idea of a Borg-connected story to be very consistent with Season 1 and Season 2 of Picard. Beverly mentions that Starfleet hasn't seen or heard of the Borg in over a decade. This didn't bother me at all. Remember, the Borgardi were formed in an alternate timeline, and are completely separate from Prime Universe Borg. In fact, Captain Liam Shaw reminds us of that in Episode 4 of this season. The timing of our last known Borg in this timeline is roughly when the artifact went offline, just before Season 1. I think we're going to see a connection there. Jack then finds out he's part Borg. Picard reveals it to him, letting him know that it's probably inherited, and tells him that safety measures have to be taken, including possible exile of Jack to Keslavar Academy. I don't know about you, but my first thought was... Whether or not this was the same place we see Cybok in Strange New Worlds, but rest assured, it is not. Cybok is at Ankishtan to Kill Vulcan Criminal Rehabilitation Center, not Keslavar Academy. I really like Jack's line about, What about the protocols of a father? Were you never issued those? The battle between duty and loyalty slash family is classic and comes out in this scene. Jack starts to think that maybe a little cybernetic authoritarianism is key and resolves to visit the Queen. I really like this portrayal of his character. It feels very young and cavalier, which is completely consistent with what we know of Jean-Luc himself at this age. Patrick Stewart is back in rare form in this episode. The guilt on his face over having passed Borg traits onto Jack is palpable throughout the entire episode. His fear that Jack will be forced to do things against his will, the way Locutus was, really reads throughout the episode. And that Data should be the one to comfort Jean-Luc when he is feeling so guilty and alone was brilliant. Data comforts not with words, but with a touch. Sometimes you can't say things to make it better. 
You can just be there for the other person. Data now has the emotional sophistication to understand that. Jean-Luc isn't the only one we get guilt from in this episode. Beverly keeps wondering how she never noticed this in Jack, how she would have liked to have done something. Any parent would feel the same about things over which we have no control. But we also get a lot of really cool Beverly in this episode. She's the one who puts the entire puzzle about the organic Borg stuff together. She's the one that figures out that DNA is in the transporters. She kind of rocks this episode. In fact, she is the rock of this episode, and I loved every minute she was on screen. As for the Borg cube, wow, big and scary. Funny antenna on top and such. Is it a hypercube? I'm not sure. Inside, clearly Alice Kreej's voice, but we don't get to see her face. She does look different from the back, asymmetrical with only one humanoid ear and presumably some sort of Borg appliance over the right side of her face. I didn't put the name of the episode together with a character's name until the Queen names Jack, at which point I was transported back to one of the weirdest and in some ways most self-indulgent Star Trek books I've ever read, William Shatner's The Return. In that book, Kirk is resurrected via Borg technology, and a Romulan named Vox is assimilated and becomes the speaker for the Romulan Empire. Funny that they threw the book a bone with the name of Jack's new character, but I'll say this. Read that book at your own peril. Genetic code in the transporter system. Hmm. To me, this is when the episode jumped the shark a bit. We suddenly learn that Actually, the transporters use common data to, quote, simplify the processing of millions of data points. Those were data's words. We learn that corruption of this data puts anyone, well, anyone with an underdeveloped frontal cortex at risk of being easily assimilated. Wow. Okay, first of all, data has to explain to Jordy how this part of the transporter system works. Jordy is literally an expert on transporter systems. Seeing Data educate Jordy in this moment on the topic is crazy to me. Number two, this really muddies the waters around whether or not the person who comes out of the transporter is the same person who stepped into it, a classic riff on the ship of Theseus philosophical problem. It just felt weird to me to learn that fact after all these years. And three, the fact that the DNA modifications only affect those with an underdeveloped frontal cortex really sent this thing off the deep end for me. I guess it sort of makes sense, given that the frontal cortex is responsible for motor tasks, judgment, abstract thinking, creativity, and maintaining social appropriateness. still felt weird to me and a pretty convenient plot device to let the old guys remain unaffected while the rest of the world goes to mayhem. My laugh-out-loud moment of this episode? Eliminate all unassimilated. I felt like a bunch of Daleks were running around screaming, Exterminate! Exterminate! So funny and ridiculous, honestly. The NCC-1701F is a beautiful ship. Although the reveal was a little overdone with the fireworks and whatnot, I really would like to see more of this ship on screen. Unfortunately, it looks like we won't get a chance to see more of Admiral Shelby, who appears to die at the hands of the new Borg in this episode. I felt that this was a travesty, and an end unbefitting such a Trek legend, particularly because she was the Borg expert. But then again, 
Jean-Luc couldn't believe she endorsed the fleet formation system anyway, so maybe she got what she deserved. I'm not sure. Speaking of deaths, I think we all knew Shaw's was coming. It was sad to see him go. His death felt sort of formulaic to me. At least we got to see him finally call Seven by her real name. Maybe she'll start using it over comms herself now. Finally, the Enterprise-D was a great reveal. In some ways, we thought that this might be coming as well, but that made the moment no less special for me. Seeing it rendered with new computer technology was amazing. I loved how they step onto the bridge in the dark, and that although the lights first seemed to light the bridge only to Picard-era levels of lighting, aka way too dark, they continued to warm up to TNG levels of lighting. The weapons may be inferior, and the bridge may seem a little small by today's standards, but Picard missed the carpet, and so did we. What a special moment. Great as well to hear Major Barrett's voice one more time. Not created from the recording she did just before her death as part of the future AI recreation of her voice, but rather taken directly from the audio in Chain of Command, where Picard retakes control of the Enterprise. I want to see the D warp away with that TNG warp effect from the opening credits of the show, but we didn't get to see that. I guess there's always episode 10. All in all, I did enjoy this episode quite a bit, despite the fact that I find aspects of this entire concept of the young kids getting biologically assimilated pretty absurd. I also think this season is running pretty heavy on nostalgia. I don't know that that's a problem, but it kind of highlights the fact that the story arc relies heavily on the past and us caring and sort of already knowing about it. Hopefully this isn't shutting too many new Trek viewers out of the conversation. But, then again, Picard probably isn't a show that many new Trek viewers are going to pick up for the first time anyway. Maybe this is just CBS Paramount knowing their audience particularly well. I'm thinking the Enterprise-D is a great ship, but it's not going to win this war alone. So we'll see where it can get help from. It might be Borgati. It might be Data's third sacrifice. Or they could send Picard onto his next, next life, on a wave of self-sacrifice that sums up, well, many lives well-lived. We'll have to see. Eric's fearless episode score, 8.5. All right, thank you, Virtual Eric. Wow. And now we're going to It was exhaustive and comprehensive. (laughs) Yeah. We're not virtual. We're live. (laughs) No, we're we're unchained, unchained and unfiltered. Let's let's talk about the death of Shaw. Let's start with that. What do you say? I you know. Well, I thought it was, I, I sad, thought it was a, sad, right? I mean, I thought he was a dick the first time we met him. I didn't like him at all, and uh, he grew on me to the point where you know I was like, you know, let's 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 get this guy through, please, 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 and um, yeah. He, he grew on me, and when they killed him, I was like, "No!" I was I was upset when they killed him, absolutely. But as one of our fans said, I think it, it, it was on the wall. It, it, it had to happen. Um, I wasn't surprised. I was upset Look, myself. Of of all the of all the characters in the series, I think Shaw is the one that has gotten growth. That character got growth because I think he 
He went from the character that was such a negative, and you always see the you always see the memes of no with him. But the character grew, and we oh, he's a one-dimensional character. No, we learned he had multi-dimensions. He had reasons why he did what he did. Because of surviving Wolf 359 and what he went through and I think what he went through to survive where others didn't. So he was a bit of a hard captain. But he was a good captain. And I think really got us to really root for him. And to lose him at the end kind of just was a sadness for us. So, sad to see him go, would love to see him back, and would love to get more details about him. And I also think that his speech about Wolf 359 was probably one of the finest moments um, in Star Trek Picard Season 3, is when he gives that, that impassioned speech of what it was like to be on one of those shows. Right. It was, uh, I mean, he delivered it just, just, just wow. And Picard's yes. reaction and Jack's reaction, uh, that was a turning point for me with that character. Just yeah, that was part of his growth. That was part of his growth. Yeah. And why he, the character, he, we started liking the character. And, and I follow him on Twitter, and he is awesome, absolutely awesome on Twitter. He he videotaped a uh, a goodbye to the fans on Twitter that was great. So we're we're gonna definitely miss him. What about the death of Shelby? Were you surprised to see Shelby show up? Oh, definitely was surprised to see Shelby show up. We knew and, we were kind of hoping to get Admiral Janeway. But to show that Shelby's moved up the ranks was rather surprising. But did you but notice said, that Shelby was a five, five star admiral? We've never seen a five star admiral before. She's the first. Which is interesting. Well, she's moved up. She's really seriously moved her up away. But yet, all the work she did with Borg, and yet helps to integrate all the ships together. <laughs> yeah, it's like I know. Even that you was, know, it's 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 you know, kind of uh, you know, you know, preposterously ironic. Really, I mean, everyone's looking at her like what? Like you know, it's, it's you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous given how you know she was supposed to be the Borg expert and. You know, the tactical, it was her whole thing in Best of Both Worlds, right? The tactical expert, yep. right? The, you know, and, you know, here's somebody who basically flunked, you know, tactics 101 or certainly not capable of learning from her past experiences and forgot about them. But, you know, it's one of those things I think you just have to be, that it's just clearly, it's just a plot device and it may not be the most, you know, salient one in terms of, you know, making real sense from an adult perspective, but I guess you just go with it, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that, and you know, I mean, I I, I found that uh, 
stuff that might normally make me crazy. Maybe I'm just surfing on a wave of fondness for this season, but it's just like, you know, when, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, what is it again? What is it? It's not foundation day. No. What is it called? Frontier day. Frontier day. Frontier day. Thank you. <laughs> Frontier day. Right. Okay. It's bad enough that there's fireworks, right? They have fireworks going off. Right. But guys, to have the fireworks make sounds in outer space? Come on! I think they were more of a hologram or a illusion of yeah, fireworks. Don't make it think... sound. It's just, uh, uh, oh, it just drove me nuts. I was just like, come on. But oh. it's just one of those things that when you're out that far in suspending disbelief, I think you just got to go for it, right? It's just like the like the things Eric pointed out about the, the only affecting people who are under 25, right? And all that stuff and the biological, you know, things of it. I, I think you just got to go with it. It's just, uh, I did find with this episode for me um, that there were things that, and this has been kind of a pattern for me a little bit this season, right? Stuff that I initially was not, you know, as okay with or necessarily fond of on a second viewing i became way more on board with uh right uh i think a second viewing almost is necessary on some of these to really kind of see how all the pieces fit together um but yeah uh it, it's some things that are kind of goofy but i own the whole okay with it well i think first of all in space no one can hear you scream so if they can't hear you scream, they can't hear fireworks either, right? Yeah, no one can um, hear yeah. your fireworks either. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. But that's one of those things that TV's always done. I mean, when the when the ship warps out, it makes a whoosh sound, right? Well, you know, there's no sound. I mean, it's just one of those things they do for dramatic license, you know, for time immemorial. Every t- even the most hardcore sci-fi science shows like The Expanse, they have to have some sound just to keep the audience, you know. Uh, engage because they know people just can't handle it right they just they gotta have all the familiarity things or they they disconnect their brains the human brain is is very audio driven um visually stimulated but also audiologically stimulated and that's why music is so important because it, it, it stimulates your brain and pulls you into the moment and that's like that's why so many people don't like 2001: A Space Odyssey because there's no sound. And if they just added a little bit of sound here and there, more people might actually enjoy that movie for what it is. But that's a that's a different situation. Back to Star Trek. Um, I yeah. think that the whole Shelby thing, uh, the changelings were involved very heavily, and Rose says that they infiltrated Starfleet at the highest ranks. So if I was a betting person, I would say that the reason why this whole thing happened and Frontier Day happened and the fleet and this whole ridiculous charade happened is because the changelings made it happen. I don't think it would have happened without that. Um, I have no proof of that. Uh, They never said that outright in the episode. Um, but I got to believe that the changelings being in, in, in upper echelons of Starfleet pushed for it and made it happen so that the outcome would be what the Borg wanted, you know, them to like all. That she's saying the changelings probably in there, if they're infiltrating Starfleet and they are the ones who are, you know, assuming identities like we've seen Tuvok, right? 
that they're exactly. probably the ones who advocated for this whole fleet formation thing and the integration of yeah. all the ships. Because in, in okay. the world of Star Trek, so it wasn't it does, something necessary. They convinced Shelby or whatever. Okay, I can buy that. Sense. It doesn't make sense because we've seen how bad things happen when this happens. We just saw it on Prodigy yeah. um, with the uh, artificial construct. So it doesn't make sense yeah. for them to do that. And the only thing that I can wrap my brain around is that the changelings infiltrated Starfleet and made it happen. That makes sense, Jim. I think that's a good, I think it's good. It's certainly the best theory to make this whole water. Otherwise it's kind of a pretty massive plot hole. Right. So, I mean, I I think that that this is good of an explanation as we're going to find. I think that's probably spot on would be my guess. You know, um, it's funny, you know, it, uh, Initially, I'm like, what are the changelings even doing in here, right? We don't know. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're still trying to figure out all that stuff, right? Uh, and I thought, okay, this is going to be a super changeling-heavy, you know, resolution of this whole plot. And then when I first watched this episode, I was, and we had the big reveal, you know, here we go, it's, that it's actually the Borg, right, as the, as the villain behind the villain. I was really kind of like, whoa. I mean, kind of like, you know... I think my reaction was kind of like the Borg again at first, because it's like, you know, we've seen that so many times. We just saw it last year. Right. So it's kind of like, it's going to be the Borg again. And I, for, so for a few minutes, it's funny to watch your reactions to things. Now they change. And so for a few minutes, I was like, Oh, I was kind of disappointed that that was the big reveal, right. That it wasn't something new or original that we hadn't seen before, but it's like, Oh, we're doing Borg again. It's like, you know, OQ again, Borg again, whatever. But then um, it was interesting because they found a fresh way of doing it. They found this whole thing with Picard's DNA and the fact that it was kind of almost like some, one of our top fans said, like a Trojan horse, right? And that it had been dormant with him this whole time in a way that they were not able to detect. And that kind of sold me on the whole idea, right? And I'm like, okay, it, it's, it's like it really is. Maybe it's a threat we're familiar with, but it's being done in a new way that's, that's kind of inventive. And then watching it a second time, I really kind of got on board with it. And I was just like, yeah, okay, I think I'm ready to do this. And for part of me, I think uh, the reason I got on board with it as much was because of uh, Jack Rusher's performance. You know, the actor who plays oh. Jack Rusher. I thought he, he sold that so well to me about his, his angst and his just, you know, his embarrassment and his anxiety about the whole thing. He, I was, I think he sold it. He sold what could have been really an awkward, you know, plot thing. And uh, I, I just think he did such a good job of, you know, making that character relatable here now that, now that he knows, we actually do know what's behind the red door. I, I thought he did a a really lovely job of, of convincing us to just, you know, go with, suspend your disbelief. I think that's what I'm trying to say, right? Suspend your disbelief and, and follow me. And I think he did a great job. So uh, kudos uh, goes out to, uh, to the guest star, you know, um, I'm still learning his name. I got Todd Stashwick down. Ed Spilliers, Ed Spilliers, right? Yeah, Ed Spilliers, yeah. Really good job, sir, uh, in that role. Um, and I bought it. So I think he did a terrific job with that. Well, I wanna, our one fan said, and I, I quote, it's like a booger on your finger and you can't flick it off. <laughs> and, and I got, you know, 
I, if you guys recall, way back in the beginning, I called the board. Yeah. I said it's it's the board. I well, listened to our podcast. I called it. Um, and the reason why I said that is because if you look at season one, you look at season two. It had to be the board because the board are the. The Borg are like Picard's Joker to Batman. You know? Um, they are the they're one They're the biggest thing... nemesis of Picard. Yeah. But they're, the, they're the nemesis that that he, his demon that he never dealt with and um, adequately. And when they came up with that genetic thing, I, I'm with you, Paul. That was the, what sold me. I was like, oh my God, you mean queen and planted that waiting for Picard to procreate and then was going to take over using his children. What better way to get back at Locutus than that? And, and if, that was brilliant. I also, I yeah, because then it makes it more of a, it makes it less of a plot thing and more of a character thing for Picard that way. Right. Because he's been yeah. having all this conflict about yeah. being a father and about, and about accepting who he is and all the, all the, you know, it ties up nicely with all the ghosts of like Wolf 359 from like Shaw and stuff like that. It becomes kind of a, a thing that isn't just a convenience of the plot for this season, but kind of fits, if you will, into the whole larger tapestry of Next Gen as a whole. And, and, and so I really, I really think well, you're right. Sticking well, with the alien that, premises, I want to say this time it's personal. That's two alien references in one episode. <laughs> But, right. Um, I just so so really interesting. The other point I wanted to make was something that Eric had mentioned, and that is the fact that it was only people under twenty five that turned evil, and the old people were were good. It was like one generation versus another generation, and we're seeing that we're almost seeing that today in the real world, you know, where it's one group of people against another group of people. And in this case, it was the young people versus the old, but I don't want to say young and old, 25 versus over 25. And I thought that yeah. was a, that yeah. was a great uh, mirror for what's going on. You know, that we, if, if we allow ourselves to be divided, however you divide it, we're going to lose. And the only way that we can be victorious is if we, if we get come together and set those differences yeah. apart. I thought that was a great anomaly, you know, analogy. So, yeah, and I really got to, you know, I mean, she's uh, they did a thing very consciously where they, uh, you know, they really wanted to make sure. And it's just like I don't think there's a beating heart in the fan community that didn't have feel moved at seeing the D again and seeing everybody on that bridge. I mean, that was just so incredibly beautifully done right i just really i mean that was a moment that was a tv moment that i think just will in the annals of you know this franchise people will remember this because i think they handle it really tastefully and it was just really potent and really great but it was very deliberate right that they you know kind of uh, engineered the plot so that only the original series the original cast got back on that ship they made sure that back on the titan back on the titan you know, Rafi and Seven are still there, right? And because uh, they're there with Shaw. So I mean, separating them out that way, I think, I don't know where that's going to go yeah. yet for the last episode, but but clever. 
really well done. But, man, I'm just going to say it again. MVP status to Jerry Ryan. She's just bringing it in every scene. She's just, you know, just rock solid, compelling. Uh, as a heroic character, I would follow her anywhere. She's really got the chops. Um, I, I just think she's doing a hell of a job. You know what sold me? Uh, one of the many, many things that sold me on Shaw is before he died and he said, the con is yours, Captain Seven of Nine. And that, yeah. that, that was... He acknowledged her yeah. real name with his dying breath. Yeah, that was a big yeah. moment. That was a because we had that whole moment where he he refused to call her seven of nine. Absolutely yep. refused yeah. to do it. And then yeah, it's and like then, as you're you're leaving life's tether. You 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 have your honest moment. You come to terms with it all, right? I mean, that was just that was a great moment. Yeah, I I agree. It's just I I I, I think the fan. I, I hope that somehow there's a way to divine some way to, to bring that character back. I mean, clearly the community loves Captain Shaw, right? And he is a really fun actor. Uh, I, I would love it if they can figure out a way, you know, to, to give us more of him. Cause he's, you know, admittedly in one episode, a bit of an a-hole, right? As far as he says <laughs> yeah. that about himself. He goes, you know, I, I mistook, you know, being an a-hole for having character or something like that, he says in an early episode, right? And he's not one-dimensional, right? And he had this really fantastic relationship with, uh, with everybody, not just uh, with Seven, but with, you know, the old crew too. And he's just obstinate and difficult, and, but at the end, really likable. And I, I, that's, that's, he really crafted a, a great... How long has it been since there's been a new character in the Star Trek universe that you really felt earned an enduring place that you just really liked and wanted to see a heck of a lot more of. It's been a while. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, there have been, been a few. Hammer? Uh, Pike. Saru for me. Hammer, Saru, right? Saru. Saru, Saru I'm a, yeah, Hammer, you're right. But I, I, I agree with that with Hammer, too. I agree. I, you forget about him. But, but man, this guy just really did, uh, it's just, uh, you know, you know, I don't know. It's just something about him. He really did do a great job. He really broke through in a really neat way. So I hope we see more of him and stuff like that. And uh, really fun, continuing to really enjoy watching Data and Jordy uh, in this whole thing, right? Uh, you know, Jordy's a little less uh, fearful now, I think. Uh, seems like he's still extremely concerned about his daughters and stuff, but, but he's, he knows when it's time to leave the ship and get in the shuttle, He's willing to do it, right? He's he's willing to listen to Data's influence, his common sense, right? And, and then, Data, and then Data says, I hope we die I quickly. quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's hysterical. I love that Data's got more emotions now. He's got more to deal with, right? It's just what a great. It's like he's been kind of contained as an actor for a long time, and he's just he gets to be a lot more out of the box now, which is super fun to watch. Yeah. And I also, I don't want her to get overlooked, but uh, I also, uh, uh, and well, a couple things. It's like, it was really, I think Eric pointed this out about uh, Alice Krieger, right? When we heard that voice as the Borg queen, unmistakable. I mean, that voice is just, you know, uh, there's no one, no one else has that voice. It was so cool to see her again, but I, I don't want to, uh, uh, 
got a <laughs> Friday brain, and it's not even Friday. <laughs> I don't want to omit Marina Sirtis, right, as uh, as Troy, because she's getting some fun dialogue and fun scenes again. Uh, I'm, I'm, initially, we didn't get any of her at all in the front end of the season, but she's gotten some nice scenes with Riker. Um, she got some nice scenes with Jack Crusher. So it's really fun to get to see her get, you know, I mean, still, Gates McFadden's leading the charge as far as, you know, the 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 main cast here right she's just like front and center dominating but but it's nice to see troy and getting to have her do some stuff and what does she say about the wrinkles <laughs> i've never been so happy to see so many wrinkles and right? you know she's great. something else that we, we didn't talk about is that these are a completely totally different borg we've never ever seen biological borg borg have always yeah. been you know, mechanical, yeah. uh, because what does the Borg say to, to Data in the first contact? She says, uh, biological imperfection is replaced with mechanical perfection or something along those lines. And so the Borg are not biological. They're a combination. These Borg are 100% biological. They don't have nanoprobes. They, they can't assimilate people. Um, th- this is a completely different type of Borg than we've ever seen before, which is interesting because it. So either goes, with or, or have they have, yeah, they, have, have they somehow changed as a result of their uh, contact with the uh, with the uh, founders? Then is it some kind of uh, influence or is it some kind of an evolution? Yeah, because these Borg, if, you're, if the, 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 they either you join them or they kill you. Because, like Eric pointed out, <laughs> it's uh, eliminate the, the unassimilated. Right, so they're not interested in assimilating you. They're interested in killing you. And that's a completely yeah, different Because you're approach. in the way. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the new. way. And, uh, you know, you're, you're an impediment. They're just like wiping out ships and, well, not so many ships because all the ships are in there, but that, that space station, you know, that's... Uh, in the way it's uh, the the last of the earth defenses the earth defense network right it's just uh it's wild but uh but i i'm enjoying the hell out of it man it's uh it's just so fun to see uh you know i think i read someplace this is the first time a star trek uh franchise entry uh has cracked like the nielsen top 10 as far as like, no. you know, like, what, what, you know, ratings are weird nowadays because of streaming and stuff like that. The metrics behind okay. it are just really crazy. Just the Nielsen's in general is even a weird concept anymore in this day and age. But, but I read somewhere it was like the first time that, that, that Star Trek's hit this high watermark of like viewer engagement that's never happened before. And it's just the appetite for this group of characters and this kind of storytelling. I mean, you got a hats off to Terry Metalis, man. He he focused this thing. He had a really good instinct for what uh, kind of story would bring these characters together, and uh, and that that it might appeal to the audience. And wow, was he right? I mean, the the numbers don't lie. He's he's really uh, I'm super. Imagine what we're going to be saying next week when we've got the whole thing under our belts. Wow. Well, interestingly just, enough. Uh, there's a, I think it was you that brought it up. There's a, there's a company called Parrot Analytics, right? That does streaming yeah, shows. That sounds familiar. Yeah. You and and this is the thing I don't understand. This is what, okay, they say that this is the first time, 
but it's not. If you go back to Parrot Analytics and you look up Star Trek Discovery premiere, which was in 2017, uh, against Star Trek Picard's premiere, Star Trek Discovery using the Parrot Analytics system actually was higher than Picard and consistently scored higher, whereas Picard dipped. And so if you look at Parrot Analytics, versus the Nielsen ratings, this isn't the first time that Star Trek has cracked the top 10. Star Trek has consistently been in the top 10 since Discovery came out. It's been up there with Strange New Worlds, matter of fact, um, according to Parrot Analytics. Um, I don't know the difference between how Parrot Analytics comes up with their ratings versus Nielsen. I, I don't know. Because Nielsen was well, yeah, old... I, it's it's going to be tough to crack. Um, part of this is like, and and again, I'm not a big math guy, right? So, uh, but uh, I'll send this one thing to you because they're going in there and they they are tracking like total minutes per show in millions, right? In terms of how they do it. So, for all I know, it looks like they're probably using maybe because it's been a couple years since. Uh, Discovery premiered, right? And so the, yeah. the, the way the whole industry has changed and what they measure is probably completely different now. But I'll send this to you because their headline is first Star Trek series to break into streaming top 10 ranking. And maybe that's a different bracket. I'm not sure. So, but it's really yeah, interesting. I mean, just, but still, it just goes to show, though, I mean, like, you know, tomato, tomato. No, it's, it's just a house of fire, right? And it's just going to, and I'll tell you who's going to really benefit every single Star Trek show that comes on after this, including the last season of Discovery, because they've picked up so many new fans of, the sh- of, of Star Trek in general, probably, who've never been, who've maybe neglected it for a while and been, you know, stepped away from Star Trek because they heard, you know, their Uncle Larry didn't like it because it's too diverse or woke, right? And now they're watching it and they're like, oh my God, this is freaking awesome. And so it's going to really help in May when Strange New Worlds comes back, their audience is going to grow and become huge. And I think a lot of people are going to go back and like, you know, uh, you know, be excited to find out about Discovery, uh, who, who missed it, if they've missed out on that show. And I think a lot of people did. They go back and they watch it. They're going to be like, damn, this is fascinating. I mean, it really is something for everybody. So, so yeah, what, a, what, a, what a cool time to be a fan. It's a great time. We got Starfleet Academy coming up next year. We have Section 31 coming up next year. We have Discovery Season 5 coming up next year. June 15th, we have Strange New World Season 2. Coming up later this year, we have Prodigy Season 2. And coming up later this year, we have Strange, or, uh, Lower Decks Season 3. Oh, oh, she's cutting us off. And I guess, gonna... and you know, it's, it's, uh, you can't predict it how it'll work out, but I guarantee you, whoever, whatever studio, they're sitting there, and they've been like ham-fistedly bumbling their attempts to get another Star Trek feature film in theaters for the last like five years, right? This level of success is going to really refocus their efforts, and I'm betting you by, you know, mid-summer, finally ink's dry on a contract someplace, and they, they focus and say, we got to get a movie in theaters, and they finally pick one and, and get it done, because uh, at, at this point, it's just like to, to miss out on this you know, is, is they're, they're going to be highly motivated to figure out a great now, way to uh, get people back in theaters. Do you think that they'll pull we do our a, scores? Um, well, uh, do you think they'll pull a Wonder Woman thing? Do you think that with, with the popularity of Michelle Yeoh, 
Do you think they'll make this movie, put it on Paramount Plus, premiere it on Paramount Plus, and then bump it into the theaters because Michelle Yeoh is such a commodity? You think they would do something like that? I don't know. I mean, they've announced that it'll be for, I think these days, subscribers are so valuable, right? And if they can add subscribers to the network and get them watching their other shows, um, it's almost counterproductive to put it in theaters because it's like you're, you're limiting yourself, right, in terms of uh, instead of having two revenue streams, I, then you only have one. So ideally, you I have one you chain do. of product you know coming out on, right. the, on the streaming and another um, chain of product coming out that's purely theatrical and then you recycle um, the theatrical on the streamer later and you make twice as much money right unless you do a tour release releasing yeah. theaters and streaming Get right Star Trek yeah but they're there i think now that the pandemic's the over they're less likely theater. to do that though because right. they're they're making a lot more money in theatrical release again when something's a big hit again. I mean, all the money Avatar made by really waiting to get it on streaming, right? They brought in another like you know half a billion dollars just by holding out for a few months. It's, so I think that they, yeah, I think that you know the the best formula I think is if they just you know have two different you know different flavors, right? So like do all of your cool stuff unique freedom experimental neat shows over here on you know paramount plus and then every now and then do a really crazy big epic zany you know crowd pleaser uh as a a movie but you know get the right brain trust involved in in picking a good script and they seem to have a really difficult time you know coming up with a consensus of that these last few years have been so many things we've read of you know i mean to think that a Star Trek movie would be in development hell this long, it's hard to believe. But uh, but they're ruling the roost over there on the Paramount Plus right now. That's all I know. They got uh, they they're, they're enjoying a hell of a resurgence. Man. Well, so um, I'm going to start us off. Our... If that sounds good, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I like I said, I watched this twice. Um, the first time I watched it, I would have given it probably a nine. Right, but. <laughs> I watched it again, and you know, uh, I just found that some of the things that were clunky for me, or goofy, or improbable, uh, or resistance, uh, my resistance was futile. <laughs> so, yeah. On a second viewing, I enjoyed it so much more, and I felt like I had a blast. And I was just like, okay, I'm ready to forgive, and just I'm my enthusiasm way outweighed my uh, my caveat. So on a second viewing, I have decided to revise that to a ten because it was just so fun, and it got me so pumped for episode 10 and I just really enjoyed this cast. So, um, uh, rest in peace, Liam Shaw. We ain't done with you yet though, sir. Uh, <laughs> so, as they say, I'm, uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm perfectly willing to give it a 10 cause this is a fun time and, uh, there's some great stuff happening on this show. Wow. That, that's, that, I think that's the first time you, you've given it a 10, isn't it? I don't know. It, it's hard to say, but I just, I don't know. I, I feel a, a lot of affection for these people and what's going on and uh, not a time to nitpick when there's good stuff like this happening. And uh, it's just fun to see it all coming together as we, you know, are in the thick of the third act, right? As they we're heading towards the resolution, whatever it may be, um, you know, always rather paint with a positive brush when I can. And like I said, it's easy to nitpick, you know, I mean, it's sort of, you know, what, science fiction fans do (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's uh but this is i'd I'd rather embrace the positive and it's just it's just this was really fun for me and i'm super pumped for episode 10 
So yeah, uh, right. let's give it a there 10. You have it. A 10 from Paul. Wow, that's the first. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to serve as us. Resistance is futile. All right. But do you have beer? (laughs) (laughs) And chicken wings. What do you think, Charles? Exactly. Well, I was going to jump in at one point saying... We learned one thing and another thing in this episode, because we sat there and said, well, Hangar Bay 12, well, what's, why, does, why does Signy want Dad to go to Hangar Bay 12? Now we know why he wanted to go to Hangar Bay 12. I'm going to leave this one just a little bit of room for the finale, but I'm going to bump it up to about a 9.8. Mmm, enthusiasm. Let's see, let's see what we could do with that 10. Let's see what we could do with episode 10. Well, I am not afraid to give out a 10. I've been, I have given 10s consistently so far. Um, I want to have a little caveat here, though. I agree with what Paul said. I think that the nostalgic uh, 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 levels here uh, make me overlook a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have or maybe shouldn't because I'm just so sucked into these guys being back together again <laughs> that, that, you know, uh, I, I think that Terry Metalis has made a lot of, of missteps and I'm going to point them all out next week. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that could have been different as a lot of things that could have been better, but as I said, the nostalgia of the whole thing is just, it's my, it just blows my mind. And all those things, I'm like, okay, I don't care. Warp is back. It doesn't matter. He's beheading people, okay? Um, you know, seeing them back together is great. Seeing Enterprise D is great. The musical cues are great. The characters are great. Um, so, yeah. All right, I'll I'll point out my problems and issues next week. They don't affect my feelings about the show, though. I'm going with this one. I'm going to go with a nine point nine for this. One. <laughs> the points. The okay. points. I got to go with a nine point nine for this one uh, myself. Um, I don't think that Terry Metalis is necessarily the right person for moving Star Trek ahead. I'll get into that next week. But he, he's done a great job with the TNG crew. And I'm going to leave it at that. So, uh, Charles, overall, where does that put us in reference to our fans? This puts us at a 9.55. Which I would wow. bump up to a nine point six. All right, okay. excellent, Charles. Wow, pretty high. So we're pretty, we're pretty yeah. close to our fans. That's excellent. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. Where another show comes to an end. We'll be talking about the last generation, which is the episode which airs tonight next week. You definitely don't want to miss that show because I've got a lot to talk about. So you want to join us next week. We'll have our fan shout-outs, our Star Trek birthdays. Go to our Facebook page and tell us what you thought about the finale of Star Trek Picard. And if you 
If you find a heart next to your name, we're going to read your comments, so make it good. Please do that. I want to say thank you to Virtual Eric for joining us virtually tonight. Thank you so much to Virtual Eric. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that for us. Thank you so much to Charles for hanging out with us and Trek Talking. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. It's always fun to sit there and talk these shows. It's great, isn't it? It's, it's a now golden I get age. To watch, now yeah. I get to go watch episode 10. Yeah. I, <laughs> and thank you so much to Paul for hanging out and Trek Talking with us and for giving us a quick toy chest issue. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, such a pleasure, man. I'm going to slap up some pics on the uh, Trek Talking Facebook page of those figures tonight. So they will be up there. But what a fun time, man. This is uh, uh, what a great time to be a fan. A lot of exciting things happening. Uh, just really cool. So thanks for, thanks for all the shared enthusiasm, friends. It, it, is, it is a great time. And I also want to let you guys know that producing Trek Talking and keeping our website up and running isn't free. Everything costs money. And so if you go to our Facebook page or if you go to trucktalking.com, I put up some items in our store. We now have a storefront. You can get your hands on Star Trek merchandise and Trek Talking t-shirts and Trek Talking coffee mugs. You can also go to our website and just send us a dollar on PayPal. Um, you know, every little bit helps. A little bit from a lot of people makes a big difference. So please, please help us out if you can. And on that note, I want to say thank you so much to everybody. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Please, everybody, be good to each other and stay safe. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life, friends. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Engage.